Do you live like the world is ending? Do you live like the world is ending? How are you supposed to live during the end times? Today, we're going to be looking at the sermon text, which comes from 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, which answers these questions. That's 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. And as you're turning the pages to 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, to set the context, the book of 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter. Now, Peter here writes, the end is near, instructing Christians on how they ought to live during this time. And we all know that Christ will one day return. And when he does, Peter tells this group of newly converted Christians in northern Turkey around 60 to 70 AD of how they are to live in anticipation of that day. So what will your response be when the end is near? Hear God's word now through his servant, the Apostle Peter. That's 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So for our text tonight, we're going to be focusing exclusively on verse 8. That's uh, verse 8, which reads, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. And so we'll be examining exactly what it means to maintain this constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, going back to the main question that I asked earlier, which was, how are Christians supposed to live in the end days? Here's the answer, which will serve as the uh, two main points for our text today. And so if you're taking notes, uh, this is what you'll want to write down. How are Christians supposed to live in the end days? The answer is this, which is the main command for today. We are to persist in our love towards each other since love covers a multitude of sins. So I'll say that again, which was, we are to persist in our love towards each other since love covers a multitude of sins. And so there'll be two points to the message. Point number one is the persistence of love. And point number two is the purpose of love. So point number one, the persistence of love. And point two, the purpose of love. So now going up to uh, point one, first, the persistence of love. So this comes from the first half of our verse, um, which says to maintain constant love for one another, or to have fervent love, or to love one another in earnest. Now, let's unpack a little bit of what Peter means here. What does this love actually look like? The persistence of love. And so God commands us to maintain constant or fervent love for one another, and this love acts strongly and carries far. 
It's not a cold, indifferent love that's passive or tolerant of other people, nor is it conditional. It, I'll only love you when it's convenient type of an attitude. But, but love here cannot stand indifference. In fact, here we see that there's an active love that's, that's fiery. It finds a way to another person's heart. And love here exerts itself. It sacrifices for another person's welfare. And that's because Christian love works. Love labors, which is not easy. And that's precisely why the text says to maintain constant love. It implies that over some time, it's going to be difficult to continue. And frankly, some of us can be hard to love. But so much of the Christian life is just keeping things going. And we're called to put in the work day in and day out with great intensity. So I ask today, is your love marked like this? For many of us, and myself included, we know that this kind of love grows weary over time. It grows tired. It, it fades. So what's the message for us? Well, Peter tells us to make it a priority. Prioritize loving persistently. And that's because persistent love requires priority. So in other words, you can't love constantly if loving others is not your priority. And, and that's why Peter says, above all, not at a minimum, but above all else, as a matter of first importance. And so bear with me for a second, but think about an athlete training, about training for a competitive race. Their endurance and ability to perform wanes over time when there's immediate distractions that's pulling their attention away from training. And similarly, at work, how many of us can attest to receiving a call at 8 p.m. at night? It pulls away our attention and our ability to love our family and our friends. Confession, I work a lot, and so much that many of you may not have seen me at times. So I know maintaining constant love for one another is like another job. But when you prioritize loving, you make it work. You make it work no matter what, because that's the point of prioritizing. And for the parents in the room, our natural reaction to you know, when our kids fall down, splitting open a wound on their knee, isn't to just stand there and let it be, but we drop everything to help. That's prioritizing love and making it work. Point number two is the purpose of love. The purpose of love. So turning to the second half of the verse, we read, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, if this verse seems confusing at first, it's because it is. But here's a helpful analogy that might help us think through the logic of the verse. Perhaps we ask ourselves, why are we to clean our rooms? Some of us might not have a great response. But others of us might say, since it builds character. So similarly, in the same vein, why are we supposed to maintain constant love for one another? Or what's the motivation for maintaining constant love for one another? Well, it's because love covers sins. 
because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we can't cover the sins of others, but the simple truth is really this, that Christ covered the multitude of our sins. And it's the very fact that Christ covered my sins and Christ covered your sins, that when I'm looking for motivation to maintain constant love for one another, because my love grows weary, it grows tired over time, it's driven by a desire to reflect Christ's love for me, for you. In other words, the purpose of maintaining constant love for one another is to reflect Christ. So what I want to do now is examine what that looks like for us at the church. What does it mean for my love to represent Christ covering a multitude of sins? How can I copy Christ's love towards each other? What, what does love covering offenses even look like? So if we examine what love covering offenses looks like, I think this takes on a couple several meanings here, which is, um, for one, we forbear with our brothers and sisters. We forbear, which has the practical effect of putting up with one another for the sake of unity. Second, love covering offenses means we value restoration. We want to restore our brothers and sisters struggling in sin, bringing them back to the joys of living in fellowship with Christ. And thirdly, this plays out in having a willingness to forgive. I think it's a good rule of thumb that Christians ought to be more willing to forgive. And while initially it may seem like a, a bitter truth, it's one that's delightfully soothing to the soul. Now, when I talk about forgiveness, let's be crystal clear of what I don't mean. I don't mean loving others equals forgiveness or we toss each other's sins under the rug since I forgive you. Um, furthermore, we shouldn't get rid of church disciplines because all we do is forgive. No, but church discipline is good, where Matthew 18 teaches clearly that we're to tell the offenses of our brothers to the church. But how many of you remember what Jesus has to say right after these verses? When Peter asks, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? What's Jesus' response here? Right, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 77 times. That's how many times we ought to forgive our brothers. The takeaway is this. What marks a healthy Bible church as much as its disciplines is its willingness to quickly and regularly forgive sins. What marks a healthy Bible church as much as its disciplines is its willingness to quickly and regularly forgive sins. Now, here's a reality check for Saul. We're all experts at pointing out the sins of others. We all have PhDs in finding faults in one another but the gospel blows this up completely. It tells us truthfully that we're not in fact victims, but primarily offenders, and we're offenders to Christ. So we can forgive because Christ forgave us. If there's a single takeaway in this entire message, it's this. The motivation for love is because Christ 
covered the multitude of our sins. And the depth of our ability to forgive sins committed against us comes from the depth of our own sins having been forgiven. We prioritize maintaining constant love because Christ loved us constantly. Naturally, our failure to prioritize one another and our weakened love over time is because we grow cold to this truth. And though it may be difficult to forgive the offenses of others, which we often place too much emphasis on, Christ covered the heaviest offense we've committed, which is our sins against him. And that's the reason we maintain constant love for one another. It's to reflect Christ. You look more like Jesus when you focus on one another. Where sinful love asks what you can do for me, Christian love asks what I can do for you. Now, brothers and sisters, let's also be reminded of what Jose preached on um, in Psalms 32 this morning. How joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the one whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit there exists no deceit. Consider it joy, brothers, that we have the privilege to reflect Christ in forgiving one another, to know this joy that David knew for confessing his sins and letting this truth shape our desires to continue to forbear with one another, to outdo each other in displaying selflessness and not begrudgingly, but charitably willing to forgive. Now, if you're not a Christian here with us today, you've never felt the joy of being forgiven for your sins. The joy of being free in Christ since he paid the ultimate penalty. The gospel is clear that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the one who is most offended said this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they have done wrong. Christ, who hung on a Roman cross, who died on a Friday, and rose three days later, covering the multitude of our sins with his love. Now, to close with a couple of applications on love covering offenses and what that means for us today, um, I have two. First is to consider the posture of your love. Love tends towards covering offenses rather than placing a lot of emphasis on them. It finds reasons for why offenses are committed, but garners sympathy towards those who have committed those offenses. So I ask, what does your posture of love look like? Is it bitter? Is it tender? How compassionate is your heart towards the offenses of others today? How embittered are you after being wronged? Do you pray for members under church discipline? When's the last time you reached out to those struggling in sin? Is there someone you need to speak to today? Robert Langton is the Archbishop of Glasgow, and he writes this on the posture of love for the first epistle of Peter's. Let your bitterness turn into sweet compassion, where the offense is so plainly a sin. We're to find it in our hearts to ignore the temptation that comes with exposing the offense, but see the log in our eyes before acting. We are not to delight in tearing the wound open wider, but the tenderest bowels of pity and compassion and prudence address sin and reprove wickedness. Tender bowels of pity and compassion. That should be the posture of our love. Now, the second application here is to ask for forgiveness. 
Asking for forgiveness is a good thing. We ought to cultivate a growing desire to ask for forgiveness for wrongly offending others, even if we think we're in the right. See how we are unloving towards others, even if we're right. Recognize the joys of being made right before Christ and the joys of being made right before one another. For as many times as our offenses have been covered, we ought to ask for forgiveness for the wrongs we have committed. And so to conclude, above all, maintain a constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. What is the motivation for covering the offenses of others? Because the one who knew no offense, Christ, has covered the multitude of our sins. Let's pray. Father God, let each of us see the hypocrisy in our eyes today. Help us to take the logs out of our own eyes when we love others. We thank you for sending your son Christ to cover the multitude of our sins. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.